Nothing draws us in like a good story. For millennia, humanity has come together to hear them told. Stories help us remember our past, understand our present, and anticipate our future. During this season, we remember the story of God unfolded throughout history in stories of both good and evil, wisdom and foolishness, triumph and defeat. Stories that whisper the name of a conquering king, a final victor, the faithful and true author himself. So, gather around, settle in. Let's listen once more to the stories that fill us with hope, joy, peace, and love. This is the story that changes everything. Good morning, church. How are you guys? Good, good, good. Well, it is thrilling to be here as we uh, continue our journey uh, in this month of December uh, into the Christmas story, into God's story of our redemption. Uh, Here at Mosaic, we have every year, uh, as far back as we have existed, uh, taken the entire month of December to jump into the Christmas season and to explore the story of God's arrival here with us uh, in the person of Jesus and all the implications to that arrival. This is what we do for December. And we do it for December the whole month because we want to be in that story for as long as we possibly can. We try to stay in that story all year long in all its different ways. But Christmas gives us this unique space to really dive into the intricate details and precision of God's redemptive story for us through his coming uh, the first time he came in the person of Jesus. And so uh, we just jump, jump on in and, and, and run December. And, and it works, right? Because our culture's ahead of us, not behind us as far as celebrating Christmas. I mean, they started in July this year. I, I think we just skipped over uh, all the stuff in between. And uh, the first Christmas whispers were in July and Christmas trees were up in, in August and you were buying them, right? So, uh, so our, our culture certainly gets on the Christmas thing fast. So it, it works. And, and December is a month that from its very beginning, the things that make uh, Christmas wonderful uh, start unfolding. In our household, in the stage of life that Brooke and I are in right now, one of the things that Christmas affords is the returning home of our children that are scattered throughout uh, the world, right? And so you, you anticipate their sort of coming home and arriving. Uh, they're coming from Alabama and Georgia and Colorado and, 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 and coming back for the Christmas season. And they, they show up in different spurts. One shows up here, one shows up there. And it's that early December, schools are shutting down. Come on home, kiddos! And so I just, I just love the, the whole month of December and all that we get to experience uh, in this Christmas season. On Monday, that is tomorrow, uh, one of my daughters, Hope, will be arriving back here from Alabama, finishing out school there. Uh, and Hadley, one of my other daughters, uh, she moved back from Texas this summer, so she's now at home. Uh, and so they will both be here uh, among uh, several of my other kids too, uh, together. And whenever Hope and Hadley 
show up together during the Christmas season, something happens in my home that I have to gear up for for months ahead of time. I have to sort of buckle up. I have to get my soul ready for this reality. And that is that they show up and they begin to categorize all of the Hallmark Christmas movies we will watch. And it is like a soul death over and over and over again. Yes, it is. Not to them. They love it. Me, I'm like, come on, no, please, not another one. No, I can't do it. But it is connective and wonderful with them. So I know it's coming. The Hallmark journey of Christmas movies is coming. You know, the Hallmark Christmas movies, man, uh, I mean, number one, honestly, you just watch one of them and you realize two things immediately. Uh, One, you should never watch another one again. Like that is a once in a lifetime event. You should just be like, done, check that box. I've done it. The t-shirt, I've watched a Hallmark movie and survived. Like it should be, it should be on there, right? So you, you know that because they're so cheesy so crazy cheesy that you're just like, this can't, this is a joke. And then you watch your second one and your third and your fourth and your fifth if, if if you're stuck like I am with girls in the house that want to do this and you realize something. They're all exactly the same movie, exactly the same movie and they even have the exact same actors in them. They just change their names. It's the same little store in the same little town. I'm like, could you guys not have just changed the set at least? I mean, something to pretend you made another movie? And so you're just like, here we go again, another, another Hallmark movie. So last night, Brooke and I, in preparation to this arrival of my daughters, uh, the, all the kids were out and we're like, Brooke, we had a busy day and Brooke was like, I just want to watch something brainless tonight. And I'm like, oh, Hallmark movie, that qualifies 100% single highest brainless event you can do. So went on to Netflix, found a little Christmassy, Hallmarky kind of movie uh, and threw it on. Um, and, and this one actually was, was pretty cute. Like I was done with them. Like it's not as terrible as the other. I actually texted Hadley. I called her and I'm like, I found, I found a movie. We could probably watch this Christmas without me like making comments the entire time that are terrible. <laughs> so we could rewatch this. And she's like, oh, I saw that one already. It's super cute. We'll watch it again. I'm like, great. And I realized as we watched this movie, that there is a central theme that runs through every Hallmark movie. In fact, actually, the more I thought about it, I realized this central theme runs through every Christmas movie, the great ones, the wonderful ones, and the Hallmark ones, right? Just runs through everything. And, and that is this, that uh, during Christmas, they are Christmas wishes that you've had, wishes for the year. And during Christmas, what happens to those wishes? They come true. They come true. That's right, they come true. Christmas wishes come true. Last night's movie we watched, that was in the movie all the time. Well, well, you know, sometimes Christmas wishes come true. And you know the whole time, I know, hers is gonna come true, his is gonna come true, the kids is gonna come true, they're all gonna come true. It's gonna be beautiful. I've said to my kids, uh, Hadley and Hope, in the past, at the point that the movie's at its darkest, and it seems like everything is hopeless and lost, I'm like, if they end this thing right now, I will write them a letter with great respect. I'm like, now that's the way to roll. None of the dreams came true. Relationships are shot. Everything's died. Christmas is a, is a, is a bomb. It didn't, it didn't go well. And the guy that's like, your Christmas dreams will come true. He's like, what? They didn't? End the movie. Because that would be more like real life. Right? Because in real life, it's not that dreams never come true. That's, that's not true. It's not that Christmas wishes never happen. It's just that sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. They're not a Hallmark movie where some writer makes sure that it ends well every single time. It doesn't end well every single time. In in fact, it it doesn't end well 
a lot of the time during a lifetime, right? And it ends well some of the time. And, and so this creates a difficulty in real life that we don't have when we're watching a Christmas movie. Because when we're watching a Christmas movie, we have an expectation that it will end well because they all do always all the time because someone controls the start to the finish. But our lives don't work that way. They don't always end well. Things don't work out the way that we want them to. And, and this, this makes faith and hope very difficult for us humans. Rightly so, it makes it difficult. Because, because faith and hope, these two things that we place and say, uh, I, I believe things are gonna go this way and turn out well, and, and I'm hopeful that they will, when things sometimes do and sometimes don't, and you have no idea which it's gonna be, it makes faith and hope difficult. Uh, maybe for you, you're like, yeah, it's a cakewalk for me. I'm like, oh, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. And, and you know why that is? Because we reside on a planet alongside death. And death resides alongside us. And you're like, this is a Christmas season. This is terrible. No, it's not terrible. It's just true. It's just a real thing. Death resides with us on this planet. It's told to us in scripture. And I'm not talking about death uh, in, its, in, in its primary expression where a, a human being dies. That happens too. That's a, the amplified expression of death. I'm talking about the fact that you and I, Every single day, there is an awareness, whether we're aware or not, that we are on a planet residing alongside death and death alongside us. When you feel anxious about something, that reminds you that death resides with us or fearful of something or you feel insecure, or you feel disrupted, or somebody's hurt you, or you've hurt somebody. Any of the things we do in our everyday spaces, we say the things we don't want to say, or things are said to us we don't want to hear that shouldn't have been said. Death, it is a reminder, death resides with us. Death affects things dying, that's the point, right? Relationships that you don't want to die, die sometimes. Uh, dreams that you don't want to die, die sometimes. Things are not realized that you want to realize. And, and so it becomes really, really difficult to remain uh, in a place of faith and hope consistently where you say what God says about his promises, I believe and I am fully confident in hope that they will be realized. That's hard in a world where death resides and shows its ugly head regularly. Isn't it? It's hard. It's hard for me. God makes lots of promises in scripture. They're wonderful. Some of them are big and giant. Some of them are personal and intimate and, and they're beautiful. But the truth is that the promises that he makes in scripture, uh, because death resides with us, they are hard to hold on to because they don't always feel like they're going to play out. God promises that I will be with you how much of the time? All the time. All the time. Yeah. Do you feel that way? That God is just with you or you feel his incredible presence. Never does he feel absent or distant. Never does it feel like you're shouting at him and he's not hearing you. Well, if that's you, praise Jesus, that's not me. Sometimes I feel like God is as close as my breath and sometimes I feel like he's so far away I'm not sure he exists. Because sometimes in life, it feels like God is anything but with me. God says, I will work all things out for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. What a promise. 
So I've often had to think to myself, I must not be good or faithful or he must not love me because this stuff going on, this ain't good. Have you ever felt that way? Like not like a day. I'm not talking about like a day. Oh, it's a bad day. I'm like a week, a month, a year, a decade. Like when does this change? When, when does this good that God is saying he's going to work out for me, when's, when's that going to be realized? I've tried to find seven jobs now and I keep losing, you name it, a thousand things. What about this disease I have? When when does the good show up? I will work all things out for your good. I don't know, I don't know. Oh, this one. I will finish every good work I've started in each of you. Mm. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Except do you struggle with habits you don't like? Do you struggle with sins that seem to hold on to you and nothing's transforming and you're like 97 now and you're like, still hasn't happened. I'm only 50 and I'm starting to feel that way a little bit. Some of it's just pure like wired in and I'm like, why? Why did you wire this in? I can't unwire it. I came out of the womb probably with someone saying, you need to stop being unreliable, man, seriously. Please try to remember to be on time and do the things you're asked because you make lots of promises and then you don't fulfill them. And for me, it's, it's so crazy. Like my wife can say to me, would you run upstairs real quick and go get that, you know, uh, blanket off the, the bed? And I'm like, oh, I'm on it. And I'll go upstairs and in the hallway, I'll encounter a cat. We have cats. I'm like, oh, sweet little cat. Play with a cat for a minute. Then I'll go and my phone will buzz and I'll read a text. And then I'll respond to that. Then I'll go to the room and I'll remember that yesterday I said I would do this thing and I quickly do that. And then I come back downstairs all happy. And she's like, well, that took forever for you to bring the blanket. And I'm like, oh, the blanket. <laughs> That's why I went upstairs. Yep. Have you ever just felt like this good work you're apparently finishing in me with 50 years in and it's gone backwards? Like it doesn't feel like there's a ton of transformation and progress. So, so, so listen, when we look at life, real life, not Hallmark life, not movie life, real life, where Christmas wishes sometimes come true and Christmas wishes sometimes don't. And when they don't, sometimes they're really, really hurtful, really deep, really hard deaths. And we have God's promises before us and we are going to hold fast to faith to believe that these things are true and to hope that they're going to be realized. How on earth do we accomplish that when it feels so hard? And this is exactly why God in regularity from the beginning of the book in Genesis to the end of the book in Revelation says to us constantly look back at my story and remember what I've done that's already concrete. Because you see, the only part we have as humans that's concrete, that isn't a hope or isn't a faith, it isn't a wondering, it isn't a waiting, it isn't a curiosity, is the past. Because it's already happened. It's just a thing. There it is. That happened. That's how it done. You don't have to wonder. I wonder if that person's going to live or die. They either lived or they all died. When the, when the thing's done, it's done. So when we look backwards, we don't look by faith. We don't look with hope. We look to evidence. We look to reality. And we can see uh, certain realities shared with us by our past. That's how it works. And what God says is, I want you to look back at my whole story. That's God's whole story. My whole story. Because when you look at my whole story, you will see some things that will arrive in your present 
and inform your future so that faith that in the present feels hard and hope about the future that feels hard, you will have the evidence of what I've already done. And then you can determine by that evidence, what do you think is true right now? What you're feeling or what you're sensing or what you can see concretely. This is why we go backwards. This is why we over Christmas celebrate the first coming of Jesus, the the arrival, the birth, the life, the death and the resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of his church, the ascension, the promises he made and this reality that he said he's going to return. We look back so that when we think about the going to return, we remember that though this is hard for us, this already happened and it was hard for others. So that's why in this season, we're not going back to the Christmas story exclusively, though we will be in it as we approach Christmas Eve, because there is miracle in that story of God's precision and God's preservation and God's protection of our salvation, of our humanity, of our human race. It's all in the Christmas story, but it starts so far past the Christmas story into the past that we should go back there. In fact, scripture says it begins before time actually began. And and, and that's how far back it goes. Before the foundations of time, the Bible will say, or before the foundations of creation of the earth, the Bible will say, God was doing this, thinking this, affecting this. So how far back does God's faithfulness and story of us go? Past the beginning of time. But we don't have a context for that. So where should we go back to? the beginning of time, because that's the one that's concrete, right? We actually have real, there it is, Adam and Eve, boom, and time begins, and real humans are born. And we're like, we got time, we got people, we got life, we got death, we got concrete. Let's take a look at that. This is why Matthew and Luke both bothered to put the genealogies into play. I mean, let's just be honest for a second, right? I mean, if you like, you know, when, when you're gathered around to read the Christmas story on Christmas morning and you're like, come on, come on, children, come on, we're going to read the Christmas story. You skip the genealogies. <laughs> I mean, do any of you like, okay, and Jesus was going to be born and then the such and such was the son of such and such was the son of such and such was the son of such and such. When are we opening presents? Genealogies, they're important. Shush. No, nobody does it. We skip the genealogies because they seem like a side note, if you will. Uh, a thing set in there just so we know Jesus came from a bunch of people. And just so we know that in that nice list, there are a few important names, Abraham, uh, J- uh, Judah, David, you know, a couple of important names. And, and look, they're all there. Prophecies, checkbox, move on. Don't read the genealogy. One, you don't want to embarrass yourself with these names because you won't know how to pronounce them. So we skip them. Matthew and Luke did not put the genealogies in the Bible, in the gospel, in their letter, simply to big picture tell us that Abraham's in there, Judah's in there, David's in there, you know, Noah's in the key players are in there. They put those genealogies in there because every part of those genealogies shout to us from our past of God being faithful to people when those people felt like us and couldn't see his faithfulness in their present and in their future. And because we can look back at their experience and go, wow, then we can come to our present and by remembering our past, our human past, God's story, we can understand our present in a new context 
and we can anticipate our future differently. In the genealogies, there are names in there uh, that you will recognize. Names that when I say them, if you've been around church at all, you'll be like, yeah, I know, I know that person. That name sounds familiar. I know their story. Uh, big names. Abraham is in there. <laughs> Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Boaz. You're like, uh, who is he again? Ruth's husband. Jesse, David. That's King David. Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Zerubbabel. I mean, you might not know all of these, but you're like, I, I've heard that name before. Yeah, these big, influential, powerful people, people that heard from God, people that, that worked with God and for God, people that expressed things, several of these writing into the Old Testament scriptures, prophesying over people. These are kings. These are sh world changers, shapers. It's mm! awesome. And then um, there's a couple of other names in there. Um, between Adam and Abraham, in that stretch of the genealogy, you have people like uh, Sheila, Herber, woo, Ram. Yeah, I remember Ram. Me neither. <laughs> Peleg. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's P-E-L-E-G, so I'm going to go with Peleg. Peleg, really? <laughs> Sarug. Between Abraham and David, you have... Uh, Perez, Nashon, hmm, remember him? Me neither. Salmon, you're like, I know him, Solomon. No, 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 not Solomon, that's a different guy. This is Salmon. How bad is that that you keep getting confused with Solomon and you're like, no, I'm not that guy. Who are you? Nobody. I'm Salmon. Great. Here we go. Here's some more. Abihud. Zadok, Mena, Ur, like as an ER, Ur. I mean, what happened there? Child is born and the mom goes, Ur! And the dad goes, I like it, Ur. And the person, like, how do you spell that? Make it simple, ER, Ur. From now on, that's the kid's name, Ur. Ur is in the genealogy of the Messiah who saved the entire human race from sin and death. Ur. Addy, A-D-D-I. And then I like this, my favorite, um, Joda, like Yoda, but with a J. I kind of want to change it to a Y. <laughs> Yoda's in there, <laughs> who knew? That's pretty darn cool. Uh, the worst part probably is this. There are several names in the genealogy that they're famous names, but this is the second or third time they show up in the genealogy. So these are the people that carry the famous name, but are the nobody. You know what I'm saying? I know. It's, I like it. No. Levi's in there several times. You're like, are you the Levi? No. Who are you? Nobody. <laughs> Nahum, Simeon, Joseph, and Joshua. These aren't the people you know. These are other people in the genealogy that just carry famous names, but they ain't famous. I, I, I wonder often as I think about these names over the last couple of weeks as we've been in the genealogies for a while, I wonder how many of these folks uh, knew that God had before the foundations of time with precision orchestrated that they would be in a particular place at a particular time to meet a particular person, to get married, to have a particular kid because he was preserving the genealogy 
of the Messiah so that in Revelation, when he says, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah, this is the root of David, the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll, that those things would be true because there was a Judah and there was a David and those were part of the prophecy. What, how many of these folks knew that they were carefully created, carefully chosen, carefully shaped to be a part of a genealogy that would ultimately lead to the coming of our Messiah and our salvation. Maybe Abraham had an idea because God bothered to go tell him, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, bless all nations through you and, and bring about salvation through you. That, that's awesome. Wonder if he thought like, is it it's like next week? Th- thousands of years later, right? Maybe David knew because promises were made to him. Maybe Noah knew because promises were made to him. Maybe a few of the other names in this knew because those people who God had told, told them, hey, just so you know, son, you are in a line that is gonna lead to God's blessing of all nations. Maybe a few of them knew, but I'll tell you, a bunch of even the famous names had no idea where this was rolling. And I can tell you this, the majority of those names in that list are obscure to us. I don't know what they did in their life. Maybe they lived very, quote unquote, significant lives, doing lots of things uh, in the scope of God's work. Or maybe they just farmed day in and day out, and they thought to themselves many days, is this, is this it? God, God has forgotten me. God uses people, but he's not using me. God does things in people and through people, but he's not doing them in me and through me. I'm just a farmer tracking along down this field for the 190th time to try to feed my family. God has forgotten me. And all that time, they have no idea that at an incredible level of precision, God had chosen them, er, 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 to be a unique and important piece of a genealogy that would lead to the saving of the entire human race, nations from uh, and tongues and tribes from every nation to save them through the coming Messiah so that death that we reside with on this planet will at some point be undone. I would love to go back to some of these folks. I've, I've got a list already. I've added it to my list of people I want to find when I get to the other side of eternity. I want to find Ur. I'm in. I want to find Ur. I want to I find, who's the other one? I definitely want to find uh, Zadok. And then of course, Yoda. I want to find those dudes. I want to go sit with them. I want to say, did you know? Like during your lifetime, did you know what God was up to in your life, in your story? Did you know that he had uniquely and precisely used you to be born from someone and to birth someone so that he could preserve the lineage of the Messiah who saved you and me, all of us? Did you know that? I bet a lot of these folks would be like, I had no idea. And I'm going to say, is it, is it kind of mind-blowing? And what are they going to say? Yes. Like one of you, like, yes. Is it mind-blowing that you were chosen to be part of the lineage of Jesus to bring about the salvation of the human race? Yes. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And they, and they couldn't have known that uh, during the journey. So there are folks in here that are rich and folks in here that are poor, folks in here that are powerful, folks in here that are powerless, folks in here that are faithful, folks in here that are faithless, Folks in here that are obedient. Folks in here that are disobedient. <laughs> there are famous folks, influential folks, quote unquote significant folks, and there are obscure folks and quote unquote insignificant folks. 
They're all in this genealogy that is anything but insignificant and anything but unimportant. We are a people that so often look to decide whether God is doing something with us by the circumstances in which we live. Look to decide whether God is with us or close to us by how it feels. Look to decide whether God is doing good by whether good is actually happening. We are a people whose faith and hope, if it is founded only in our present and only looking to our future, will not withstand the circumstances in which we live. Because like the people of old, they lived sometimes lifetimes without seeing God's promise come true in the way that they thought. And yet, did he fulfill his promises? And did he use them? And are they significant? And do they matter? Er, does he matter? Er matters! I want a t-shirt. Er matters. (laughs) And so do I. Er matters and so do I. Not because I matter, but because God has how many humans matter. That's right. There is not a single mistake, a single accident, a single misimprecision. The author of time is authoring exactly like he said, has authored exactly like he did. In the New Testament, it is written, and I'm not even going to read it, I'm going to tell you, it's written this way. Uh, Paul is writing in the, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he writes this. Uh, we are God's workmanship or God's handiwork, or God's poem. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for us to do. That's a verse in the Bible. I'm not making it up. It's not off a poster and you're like, is that a verse in the Bible? I think so. It's actually a verse in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for us to do. You and I were created specifically for a part of the story of God, whether you see it, know it, feel it, or like it. And though your obedience and faithfulness and participation and knowledge of that and part of it will enhance your experience of being part of that story. This is not about how faithful and true you will be to discover what those good works are and to get them done. Like God has made a list for you, put it on a table somewhere and said, find it, do it, and then you'll be a good and faithful servant. And you're like, I hope I'm doing the ones you made for me. That's not what this verse says at all. It actually says the exact opposite. It sets you and me free. It keeps us safe. Whatever you end up doing, my precision for the story I'm unfolding through you is exact. You're welcome to notice it. You're welcome to be part of it. You're welcome to enjoy it. Or you're welcome to miss it. But I have good works that I made you for. And they will be what you do on this planet because I'm using you. And you say, how's that? Next week, we'll be back in the genealogies. And if you were here last week, you remember, you were like, oh, oh my goodness. Like, this is impossible. Some of the most horrifically foolish people in this genealogy. I'm not just my foolish, like, oh, I mean, deception, trickery, uh, different wives and husbands. And you're like, what? And then God births a child out of that mess. And you're like, that's my genealogy. And you're like, what? What is God saying to us throughout scripture? You're not proving your faithfulness to me. I'm proving my faithfulness to you. Who is faithful and true all the time? God. Who is faithful and true all the time? God. Who is faithful and true all the time? Who is faithful and true some of the time? 
We're, we're faithful and true some of the time. Yeah, good news. Who's not faithful and true some of the time? But God is faithful and true all of the time. And so this is what he says. You have to understand this. Not one of you is an accident. Not one of you is useless. Not one of you is just a, a blip on the radar. Not one of you is er in the way we think about er. Who's that? I don't know. Useless. No, 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 no. I made er for that moment, for that part in the story, so that Jesus would be the lion of the tribe of Judah, so that Jesus would be of the root of David, so that Jesus would be the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, so that Jesus would be the Messiah to the human race. And I made Ur as part of that story. And if we die, and I talk to Ur, and I'm like, did you do anything else of significance? I mean, like, did you actually have the thought I should serve God? And he goes, no, I don't think that's going to be true. I'm sure he was a nice man. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, he did zero else for God, zero. And he finds out he's part of the genealogy. That's why God made him. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? We are a nation obsessed with how much we do to prove how much we are valuable. And God says, stop it. You're valuable because I made you and I have a plan for you and a purpose for you. Wake up in the morning, do what I call you to do as best you can. And when you're faithful, I'll use you. When you're unfaithful, I'll use you because I'm faithful and true all the time. I'd prefer you faithful and obedient because it's a lot more fun for you and a lot more freeing. But I will get done when I'm going to get done. Listen to this. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews probably, in my estimation, puts this best in terms of this reality that in order for our faith to have foundation so that it doesn't feel so hard to have faith and hope when our present isn't demonstrating the promises of God and our future is uncertain. What, what the author of Hebrews says is to take this hard feeling of faith and hope and to give it foundation and strength, look back at what God has done and you will see. And this is how the author of Hebrews does it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, he writes, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is being certain of things you're not certain of that you hope for and assured of things you have not yet seen. And we are like, amen, uh, mm, yeah, baby. Go Christians. But then you actually stand a second later and you're like, that sounds super hard. Like I'm certain of what I'm not certain about. Mm. I don't know that I have a lot of faith. You know what the author of Hebrews does next? That's verse one of chapter 11. The rest of chapter 11 is a look back at the historical reality of faithful and unfaithful people being faithful some of the time and in their faithful some of the time, God calling them faith-filled. Those people were faithful some of the time. And he's like, look at them. They were faithful some of the time. Who was faithful all of the time to them? And that's what Hebrews 11 does. Look, they were faithful some of the time. Be faithful. And who was faithful all of the time? God to whom? To them. And then he actually brings it to this reality. Listen, listen to this. Here it is. And what more shall I say? This is verse 32 of chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jehoshaphat, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, 
put foreign armies to fight. Woman received back their dead from a, through resurrection. <laughs> Those are some faith builders, aren't they? I'm just saying, if I stood in a fire that was very, very hot, and I suddenly realized I ain't burning up, and then I turned and there was Jesus, I'm just saying, I'd, I'd, I'd have some faith. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If a lion came to eat me, and I'm like, shut up. And the lion was like, so sorry. <laughs> I'm just sitting right here in the corner. I'd be like, this is awesome. God is good. If my dead were raised, it would be pretty mind-blowing, wouldn't it? So, so he's saying, boy, God has done some things, has he not? He's done some things that we can... In these small stories go, God has been faithful, present. He has, he has protected. And then the very next sentence is this. <laughs> Some were tortured, refused to, be, uh, to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. In other words, they were killed. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in sheep, the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Same list as the list previously. He's talking about a bunch of people that God was doing things with and in that he had not yet shown them the full extent of his promises. And he's saying, so is there reason in that list for us to go, God did some big things that are very visible? And is there reason in that list to say, where was God when the poor guy was wandering in the desert and caves and dens after being tortured? Good point. And here's what God says about all of these folks. And all these that I just read about, all of them, though commended through their faith, in other words, though they stepped into choosing to believe God, did not receive what was promised. Well, it's kind of terrible. But he's like, no, 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 no. They just hadn't seen it yet. They just hadn't seen it. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Here's what he's talking about. The people that were on that list, did they know that God was going to send a Messiah who was going to come at some point in their future and save them from sin and death? from bondage, from brokenness. They did, because God said it constantly. Did they know when that Savior was coming? No. Did they wonder if he was going to come next week or next month or in their lifetime? Yes, absolutely, just like you and I do constantly, right? But what he's saying about them is, you know, they never saw him arrive. They never saw him arrive. It never happened. Every one of them died, and they never saw the promise of salvation in the way that it was described. Who saw the promise of salvation? We did. And all those before us right back to the coming of Jesus on that Christmas and his life, death, and resurrection. We did. We have something they didn't have. They were commended for their faith. They didn't even have the first advent to put a finger on it. They had lots of cool things God had done, but there were little things, little things, fires, lions, small stuff. I, I know you say it's big, but it ain't this big. God came, became flesh and blood, lived among us, died, took on death itself, took all of our sin, eliminated from us, gave us his righteousness, gave us the Holy Spirit, sent us off eternal life, rose again into ascension and said, I'm coming back for you. That had not happened. And I'm telling you, that's big. And I'll tell you how big that is. Because if that didn't happen, all the fires, all the lions, all the stuff, we still wouldn't be here. We'd all be damned. But we're not because Jesus came. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, listen, listen, man, 
they didn't even have the first advent. They didn't have the New Testament in intricacy, unpacking the implications of the gospel and of Jesus' coming. They didn't understand any of it. And yet they stood by faith because God had done some things for them to look back on, but not the things we have. And then he says this, the very next verse, verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have the first advent, we have the coming of Jesus. We have the clarity of his life, death and resurrection, of his ascension, of his promises. We have the New Testament. We have all of these clarities. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so many stories before us of God's faithfulness, let us now lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith. Here's what it's saying. Is faith hard? Welcome. Is hope hard? Absolutely. Because the present has no context and the future is uncertain. So look back. And look back long enough, hard enough, regularly enough, and far enough to conclude this because it's the only thing you can conclude when you do this rightly. God has been faithful and true to humans that in their time had no idea that he was being faithful and true and he did it. So in my present, I have no idea if God is being faithful and true in my current circumstance. Maybe that's you. But what can you know because you have a track record of thousands of years of God's precise protection and preservation of a line to produce a Messiah to save us and them? And I go, that's right. When God seems not faithful and true, history tells me otherwise. And when I'm not sure if he'll come again, history tells me otherwise because they weren't sure he was going to come the first time. And did he? Sure did. And did he do what he said? Sure did. Did he live? Sure did. Did he die? Sure did. Did he rise from the dead? Sure did. Did he save us? Sure did. Did he ascend? Sure did. Did he give us the Holy Spirit? Sure did. Is his church advancing against the gates of hell and bringing in redemption? Sure is. And I'm like, yep, I did all that. So what are the chances he's going to come back the second time like he said? Pretty stinking good. And I would say it's founded to say, I'm going to run with 100% because I got a history that tells me 100% will be my best bet. And there my faith finds its footing and my hope finds its strength in remembering the past of God's story to inform my present so I can understand it and help me anticipate my future with hope, bringing me back to what Hebrews said in chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being certain of what we hope for and assured of what we have not yet seen. Like, why? Because I don't just have present and future. I have past. And the past, God has said over and over again through what he's done, I will be faithful and true when? Always. Always. As we walk into Christmas this season, let this Christmas, as we look back to the birth of Jesus, cause us to fix our eyes on the past of Jesus' coming to inform our present of his faithfulness, regardless of circumstance, and to give us hope for the second advent so that we might live faithfully in the present, anticipating the second coming 
whenever he decides to show up. And if that's before I die, great. And if that's after I die, great. I'm going to live my part in a story that he has made clear. He has great intent with because I matter. Because by golly, if Ur matters, I matter. And if Ur matters, you matter. And it doesn't matter whether you think you do or feel you do. He's made it clear in the history of his entire story that he's never made a human for no purpose whatsoever. Every human is for a particular moment and a particular story for a particular thing, including you and I. And I feel pretty darn good about dying and finding out all the things I didn't know he was doing because he decided I would show up. And all the things I didn't know he was doing because he decided you would show up. Let's go run this race with perseverance and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. The extraordinary wonder that you have given us uh, your scripture that goes back to the beginning of our human story so that we would have a past to look back to. Not just a recent past, a lifetime past, our past of your faithfulness, but literally back into the intricacies of a genealogy, the intricacies of a line, the intricacies of those kinds of precisions. God, we are overwhelmed by how absolutely present and absolutely precise you have been from the second you made creation. Not once, not ever, not in any way without intent and purpose to bring about your glory and our good. So when we feel it and see it, may we celebrate it. And when we don't feel it and don't see it, may we look back and fix our eyes on your past faithfulness and then set our eyes on your future faithfulness. May this Christmas not just be about remembering what you've done, but about stirring us toward what you are yet to do. Not just about the things you've done in and through others, but about the clarity that we, each of us, are purposed perfectly. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for things we know and things we don't, but things that you are absolutely precise and certain on. God, thanks for Ur. Thanks for Perez. Thanks for Herob. Thanks for these folks that we won't have a conversation with until we leave this planet. Thanks for them. That we are reminded that when we feel forgotten, we are anything but forgotten. Because you are doing things that are always faithful and true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.